Toronto proud to announce from Zurich, Men's League Switzerland, from US program, Austin Matthews. Okay, hello everyone. How, how are you doing? Welcome to 800, day 894 of the severe isolation of COVID, which, I mean, it's basically like this is normal life. We're going to have to actually start counting when we go back to the other world, whatever that is, if that actually is normal. Who knows? Uh, but anyway, there's some interesting stuff to talk about today. There's been discussions of neutral sites around the NHL. Uh, for hosting hockey and all that and what's kind of funny is I didn't actually read anything about that before I had suggested it and then I saw it being suggested and I felt super smart so maybe it was out there and I didn't see it but anyway don't take this away from me um, I'm going to talk a little bit about the possible May 1st training center thing which I came out of nowhere to me um, and the trapping before June or draft in June before uh, the season finishes, which again, like, what the are they thinking? But yeah, anyway. Oh, and just a little bit of thoughts around Seattle and some general news. Um, I think I'll just do the general news first because it's not much. There's just a few contracts that were signed. Uh, the most notable one uh, was Elvis Mers Lickens gets signed to a two-year deal with an average value of $4 million, and I was actually super surprised it was that high like he has had a decent year um he's part of the reason Columbus has actually managed to stay in it and like part of the reason it's so funny that Bobrovsky's gone um he so yeah he signed for four million but he has he doesn't have the largest track record and to me it felt like a bit much like isn't it normal for it to be like around two million two million or so for a goalie in that position um, let me just pull up his stats here so I can talk about them a little bit more. Here we go. Um, man, he played a lot in the minor leagues. Okay. <laughs> okay, so he's played one season in the NHL. He's got a 2.35 goals against and a 9.23 save percentage. I mean, it's really good. 33 games, that's not bad, but that's one season. Um, how many goalies have we seen do something like this for... 30 to 40 games or like a rookie come in in the last half of his season because of injuries or whatever and they just kill it and then they come back the next season and you're wondering what happened to that player the classic example for me i think this is just because it's something that happened when i was younger and it's the first example i saw of this was um patrick lillie because he came in for i think it was tom barrasso and another goalie on pittsburgh and so lillie came in as this rookie and it was in that period that I think Pittsburgh won something like, what was it? It was like 17 games in a row without a loss. Um, some stupid streak when he came in and the lean was a big part of it. And in my mind as a kid, I was like, oh, this guy's going to be elite. He's like one of the next best goalies in the league. And then all of a sudden he, 
or the next few years he was just averaging crap and I don't think he really had much of a good career after that at all like it was it was really weird and to me that was just a good lesson of you gotta be careful with goalies and people who come hot in a short period of time and that's just how I feel about Merce Liggins you know I don't I mean I'm not saying he's gonna be terrible or I know anything special about him but to give him four million right off the bat seems a bit high um, the one thing I was thinking is maybe let me just see his age real quick okay he's 26 so maybe because he waited so long to get in because Bobrovsky was in or it took him so long to get ready or whatever and Columbus has the cap space so they're not super worried about it um, it's not that big a deal and maybe they were thinking well we'll give him a friendly contract now we'll pay him more than we probably should but that's to show faith in him and then you know by the time he's done he'll be 28 and he could be our number one starter and part of the negotiations could be um, look we'll give you we'll now give you a long-term contract but we want something a bit more team friendly now instead of overpaying you and something like six or whatever for five six years if he has two really good years after this um, that could look like a bargain and it might actually look like a smart contract uh, and just a little side note, I feel like Columbus is one of the best managed teams in the league. I really do. Like, I understand they traded everything that last year, and I did um, I did talk pretty badly about that. But to be fair, like, you know, if you looked at the team, they still have the coaching. Um, Yarmo Kekalainen was right. They had enough in there to not completely fall off the map uh, and at least be decently competitive. And if they hadn't, hadn't had all those injuries this year, you know, they might have done even better. So, you know, that's definitely one of those things where I was frustrated and uh, vented a negative opinion about them that they proved me wrong and good for them. Um, but anyway, moving on to the other crap. Or stuff, as I should say. It's not crap. Uh, so the NHL has admitted that they discussed uh, the whole neutral site thing where they would have like one neutral site for each division and all the teams would go there and they would. Um, we don't just play out a series of games to finish off the season. I really like that idea, and uh, they brought it up that Buffalo could be a good place. Um, Edmonton was suggested, which was something I was thinking of, just because Alberta's isolated. They have good COVID numbers. Um, uh, they did say California, because obviously a lot of teams are down there. Um, I don't know about that, but I heard, but Arizona was a super interesting idea, because again, I think the rink is fairly isolated from the main city and so if you could set up some place for all the players to be um, it's obviously safe and like you keep it clean and everything and it's got certain procedures set in mind like that could be a really good idea um, and Columbus uh, Buffalo and Columbus I don't know too much about but I feel like you know if they are if there's places where you could isolate them but still have the right facilities to play a game without fans that might be the uh, best case scenario um, and if it's similar to Edmonton and Arizona, they can kind of separate things, but they do have the right facilities. Like, that could be awesome. And I honestly really like that idea. Um, so in May 1st, the NBA has announced... Uh, I, it's been on TSN, so it, it doesn't seem like it's official yet, but it seems official enough that they're going to allow players to start training together. Now, I don't know if this counts as, like... Uh, pre-camp or something before a new season starts but it, this seems like the precursor to it and I'm really surprised it's that soon 
like I do feel like it was kind of sprung up um, but obviously they're losing a lot of money and they just want to find a way to make up make it up so you know if they could get get them training soon and then just you know see how how to manage all that um, if they were allowed more players to come and if they were allowed like games to go like could they manage keeping it clean and disinfected and all that kind of stuff so that was super interesting because if the NBA is doing it I mean the NHL is probably going to do it because when the NBA announced that they weren't going to be playing games and they suspended the season the NHL basically did it the next day so I'd, I'd assume that in the next day or so we're going to hear um, the NHL doing the same thing and opening up training centers for multiple players to come that's pretty exciting I'd be so happy if they just started this again started this season uh, and so that made me think like timeline wise like okay if you have training centers open like let's put everything in periods of two weeks if your training centers open May 1st uh, and then you go okay we'll go two weeks and see what happens and then let's say it all goes good there's not a lot of infections they're able to handle things they've sort out some some bugs or whatever if they were to bring more people in and then you go okay well let's actually have training camp let's get ready for the season like let's start this going and then you go two more weeks and you actually have training camps where the teams are practiced regularly together coaches everybody's there um, again use that as a period to work out bugs uh, you know how you're going to deal with cleaning certain things and all that stuff just you know the logistics of it and then you could start the season so that means June 1st roughly you'd have a period where you could start the season and you have to finish off the last I think it's 10 10 to 12 games the average for a team something like that 10 to 12 games that's at least I mean, at best, you're talking three, probably four weeks to finish the season, something like that, maybe a little bit more. And that means playoffs would start in July, and then you'd have two months for playoffs if they do it all the same, not you know like the normal way. So that means, so that means by end of August, you'd have the season over, something like that. Uh, September would then be draft and then you'd have free agency um, if they keep everything sort of in the regular timeline um, you could have free agency in the draft in September and then you have a month off uh, and then maybe like training camp or something and then the season starts in um, like end of October or something like that or they could do it mid-November and maybe condense the season or spread it out like further into next year or further in spread the season out further for to 2021 and then just have it like end in like July again or something and that's all just me like reading into this whole timeline thing of uh, training camps or training centers open in May how it could realistically work to fit the rest into the season in and it does seem doable to get most of the games and then just have next season start a little late finish a little late uh, sort of a condensed another condensed off season and then you know you'd have the 2021 20, to 22 season would be um like just regular uh that's not too bad if they can make that work obviously it all depends on like how good everything goes there's no setbacks which there usually is and so i would say if there is setbacks from that may 1st period where these training centers open up that's when that's the point where you're gonna have to realis realistically say okay the season is not gonna 
be finished. We can't have 82 games, so we're going to have to cut it off at like 76 or something like that, and then just deal with the numbers from there. And I'm pretty sure that's what the league is thinking, that's what they're planning, um, if everything goes well. So, we'll see what happens. But, then there was another wrinkle thrown in there. And I think this is all conditional on how this training center to timeline all kind of works out. But they were talking about having still having the draft in June to sort of give like the NHL something to you know get ratings for and make a little bit of money off of and advertise and stuff, and then maybe use that as a springboard into the next season and playoffs and all that. Um, but that would mean it would be before the season ends and the Stanley Cup is awarded, so you don't really know how things are going to plan out. Uh, before the draft, which is weird, to say the least, and it's really problematic for a lot of teams. Um, I think I'll get Toronto out of, way, out of the way first, but the way it's looking is they have a flat cap. They're probably going to have a flat cap next year. So they're Toronto to make any kind of change in their defense to improve the team, or even just any improvement in general. They're going to have to get rid of excess contracts and clear some cap space. Now, generally, you would want, um, generally, you would want the season to be over, so you know how your team's going to play out. Uh, you want to know, like, should we be pushing to get better next year? Should we maybe take a step back? Do we have to get rid of certain players to maybe restructure the core of the team? All that kind of stuff. Toronto's most likely just going to try and improve. Um, they're probably going to want either drive, good draft picks or uh, roster players or players that are super close to being roster players. So, you know, at first it's like, well, maybe the draft won't really, it doesn't really affect them because they don't have a lot of picks anyway. And they're probably going to want actual players. So it's not going to matter. It's like, but it's still, if there's other teams that are able to make trades because they have cap space or whatever, um, there's no way that the team Toronto could get in like a, a three-way trade where they're you know we want this player from you we'll give this player but then x team gives you draft picks or, or like however they're going to manage it so it just limits opportunities for certain teams to improve and it I think it hurts mostly teams that have um, a lot of cap space or are pushing to be uh, contenders or, or win the next season because how are they going to really plan on proving their team if they're not 100% sure how this year is going to play out. Like, you don't know who's going to win the Stanley Cup, so you don't know who, uh, like, you don't know who they really want to get rid of, who's going to be important in a playoff run. You're not going to know what teams maybe were able to get deep, and you're not even going to know which teams are going to make it. So you're, you're sort of left in the dark going, well, I don't know, I think we'll be fine, but let's try and make trades and improve. And the other thing is, like, even if you wanted to make trades, how is that going to work? Because free agency isn't, or like the season's not over, so technically there's the trade freeze until the season's over since the trade deadline. Um, so how does that work? Like, if a team knows that they're still going to play the season, they can't really make trades at the draft because they still have the season to play out and they want to keep, like, uh, play team players they've invested in... Um, you know, for like a playoff run or just to help them make the playoffs, like all those, uh, you know, those uh, free agents that are going to be gone. Or even like who you're going to re-sign. Like what about a team like Arizona that has uh, Taylor Hall? Like if they were going to try and re-sign him, wouldn't, obviously they'd want to know if he fits well for the team for the rest of the games. You're also going to want to know 
uh, does he want to stay? Is does the team really improve? Can they make the playoffs and play well in the playoffs with him? Like that's a big thing you're going to want to know before um, you re-sign him. But you're also going to want to know that before you go to the draft because maybe you realize, oh, our team's better than we thought, and so we're going to re-sign him. We'll only have this much cap space. Uh, maybe we'll trade players to get like a defenseman or something. Uh, or vice versa, like we're going to re-sign him, we're going to have to trade players away to get cap space. Like there's just so many complications that are opened up with this happening before the season and not allowing teams to sort of settle in and see, see where they actually are for next year uh, in the June draft. It just, it seems to me this creates a lot more problems than it solves. Uh, now some people could say, well, how about we just take this out of context of the season, like everything's separated, uh, and we just do like a completely new draft lottery that includes every team, um, and then just, you know, go for the odds there. But then, then you're starting to hurt the teams who maybe are in rebuilding periods like uh, Ottawa and Detroit, and how are they, like, they're expecting to get a really good draft pick, but now you've just lowered their odds of actually getting a good draft pick if you open the pool too much, if you take away the percentage of them, or sorry, the, the percentage they should receive to, they should have to possibly get the first overall draft pick, which is like 18% or something for the bottom team. Uh, you know, if you take away, if you turn it to like 15 and then you just spread it amongst the rest of the teams, and you know, everybody else gets a slightly lower chance, like a team like Detroit that's just had the worst season ever, like there's a better chance that with the regular format they would actually have a chance to win the first overall pick, which they def desperately need to help change their team. And taking away that small chance could actually be like the final thing that pushes them over the edge to win. Like maybe they, they would have won with 18, but because you lower it to 15, the balls that, you know, decide the numbers, um, go to some other team that decided that ends up winning and what if that team is a team like st louis that just won the cup like how, how would you even accept that as an option if you were detroit like something like that happening like in that in that scenario i think you'd have to put in protection that basically says okay the bottom 10 teams do not have their odds changed their odds are the exact same and then all the teams that are, would have been through uh sorry 11 through 16 uh, they just share odds with from 11 all the way to 31st, something like that. So the teams that most likely were either going to make the playoffs or just miss will all have like a, a fraction of a chance to win. Or you could even condense it further and say, okay, the bottom 10 teams are protected and say their odds don't change. And then the top like five to 10 teams are protected or excluded. Like they're not even allowed to take part in the draft lottery. I mean, that kind of fixes it. Um, let me, you know let me pull up the standings and I'll just dump. Okay, now that I got the standings open, and I can see, you know what, honestly? You could probably say that the teams, you know, you could exclude the teams from the draft lottery from, like, Toronto and up. It's funny, that's, like, right on the border, I would say, exclude Toronto, but uh, the team that's even below them with the same points would be uh, Columbus. And that's just because the division, but like Toronto's at least three points ahead uh, of Florida. I mean, maybe you can make an argument, but if you wanted to just say, all right, the top 10 teams are excluded, you'd probably be safe because the teams below them are like uh, Carolina, Toronto, Columbus, all that. Like there's a bit of 
there's a possibility that a bunch of them might not even make it. So that it means that you have 21 teams entering in the draft lottery, then you protect the teams that were like, let's see, bottom, one, two, three, one. If, if you protect the bottom five, which would include Detroit, Ottawa, San Jose, LA, and Anaheim, you include the, uh, you protect them and say their odds don't change. So if they lose, they lose, and it just pushes them. Like they'll, if they they weren't going to win anyway, so it was end it was just going to end up being a team above them, no matter what. But then that the chance that it's one of the teams above them is just spread between multiple teams, if if that makes sense. So you could do something like that, and so you have twenty one teams in the draft lottery, uh, and you just you you literally just dole out the draft that way. And then you just tell everyone, no trades, we're just doing the draft, and then they'll be like, the trading period will be in free agency. I think that works, that might work out a little bit better. But then there's also the complication of teams that have deals. Like, if they make the playoffs, um, then this team gets their draft pick. If they don't, this, you know, they keep it. A uh, team like Vancouver pops into my head because of the JT Miller trade. Uh, I mean, there's a simple way to solve that is you just said, like, let the teams negotiate it, maybe. Um, and so, I, certain picks, like, maybe it's, like, how far a team goes in the playoffs and stuff like that. Like, you can push it to next year. Like, there is ways around it, but it does create a lot of problems. So, it's... I'm actually super interested in the idea because it, it, it throws, like, a monkey wrench into the whole, like, stale NHL system of, like, how they draft, how they go through the lottery, all that kind of stuff. You know, everyone always expects all the moves are in June, uh, around the draft. They usually are, but, you know, like a week or two after that, you kind of know what all the movement is, and there's maybe a little bit on free agency, then like the odd trade after that. Um, but this could force everyone to not like panic, but just make odd moves that they wouldn't normally make. Because if the draft is done independently of any trades being made, well, okay, except like uh, picks for picks. Or future considerations or something then you know you're you really can condense the period in that teams can make changes into like a shorter period they can't think about it as much and if it's all just centered around the free agency um i kind of adjust the decisions they make because they can't they can't say well we'll, we'll trade you this for a draft pick in future considerations they have to trade it for like next year's draft like it's more of like a projection they can't do it for anything in the current timeline um so that is just, it's actually really interesting. Um, and I was just wondering, how does this affect Seattle? Because if Seattle's going to do their draft next year, this is a good thing for them. Because if there's a flat cap, there's a limited move that are centered around the draft. So that means all the movement has to come afterwards. Teams are going to be kind of screwed. And next year, they're going to, you know, they're going to feel the crunch this year. You know, you have, might have teams lose that you wouldn't expect to. Then they're going to feel more pressure to open up their cap and win now the following year so they're going to say hey seattle you don't have anybody yet how about you take this bad contract and we'll give you like uh, this draft pick or like a number one all overall goalie or like uh, uh mark andre Fleury, something like that and if history is any indicator for how expansion teams should look at their team i honestly think one of the most important things is that you get a competent goalie like, even with a weak defense, they should be putting up a 9.10 to 9.15 per save percentage to just, like, 
I don't know, just give your team some confidence, give them some credibility so they're not getting outscored like 8-2 every night. Um, even if they're losing, but they it was close games because you had an exciting, good goalie-making save. It's just way better. So I, I'm really curious what this is. Uh, what's this? What's going to happen in the next couple weeks? Uh, as just May first. What is it? A week away? Is that right? Yeah, something like that. It's around a week away. So then we'll probably get more news about how everything's happening. Uh, what the plan is after that, if they actually do open up the training centers in the NHL. Um, so thank you so much for listening. That was actually really fun. Uh, hope you all have a good day, and I will catch you next time.